The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live! From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. We're getting some feedback with the iconic voice. Don't really know why, but uh, is this okay? Some, someone has it open and is watching it. So, <laughs> we gotta, oh man, am I gonna hear my Strong voice? Start. I'm hearing it again. I'm hearing it again. Yay! I love it. <laughs> Wait, I don't, three I don't intros, and there I am again. We're everywhere. What's going on? This is a this is a row, row, row your boat right here. Yeah, who's killing it? I don't know what? why this is happening. Has Casey, what's going on? Oh, now I'm on. <laughs> now you're on. Is it? Wait, hold on. Oh, man. What, a, what a start to the show. It's it coming from Jed's. Me. It's coming from Jed's. There's no way. Talk, Jed. No, it's coming from Jed's, yeah. It's definitely coming from from Jed Mishu. I mean, come on, Mr. No Gray area. I don't know how it's coming for me, but I don't have anything open on my computer. How's it? Is it gone now? I think so. Uh, is it gone I think now? we're okay. I think we're okay. Hey, listen, this is what happens when we start <laughs> was, the show a little I, bit I earlier. That was weird. I don't know why that happened. That was okay. I want to be clear. I didn't right. touch anything. I did nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, now you know that we ain't pre-recorded or anything like that. We, right. are, we are live a little bit earlier this week. We're coming off one of our biggest episodes ever. Definitely the most positive response. <laughs> 
box, so and now again? I hear the intro again. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just getting the music going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we, we oh, got to okay. get the mood oh, back. Okay, we got to get the mood okay, back. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Was, <laughs> now you got me all like, flustered, but happening. Last, I mean, but going back to last week's show, it was definitely the most positive response we've ever had on the program following the epic battle between Jed Mishu and Brian Campbell. It was a back and forth, hammer and tongs type of debate, and BC got the fan vote, but the BTL Virtual Arena. I like to call this a place of hope, a place of redemption. And as you saw, Jed Mishu is back this week looking to get back on track. You can check him out all over the MA Fighting Podcast Network quite a bit right now. No bets barred, a very interesting stroll down memory lane soon to come about the cancellation of UFC 151 10 years ago. You might have seen his interview with Greg Jackson on MMAfighting.com. It's going to be a very special edition of Dan, They Were Good. Jed, welcome back, my very busy friend. Thanks for having me back. I don't need redemption. Uh, I rewatched it. I put the boots to Brian Campbell. I know that y'all love him because you do. And I love BC too. He's a great guy, but he got tuned up something fierce. Like at best, he won two rounds at absolute best. You giving him the first round is a travesty when he's calling Leon Edwards head kick a fluke. What is that? Not a fluke. He kicked the man in the face and called his shot beforehand. Anyway, I absolutely steamrolled BC, uh, but I'm glad to have a worthy challenger here in, in Ricky. New York, right? Man comes with good takes. Yes, the aforementioned opponent. He's been on the show. I believe this is his fourth appearance. He is the social media director here at MMAfighting.com. He's a longtime and pivotal member of the MMA Hour crew, and I'll say it again. He is the greatest theme song in the history of MMA. So let us say hello once again to Mr. New York Rick. Welcome back, sir. I can't. Oh, you're muted. I can't hear him. We're there we go. It today, that was, that was my fault. That was, that was, my, that my, was my, on Casey. That, that, that was, was on me. Our... That was on me. <laughs> um, Hello, New York, Rick. <laughs> Hello. Um, I will confirm that I do have the best music in all of MMA. Thank you for that, Mr. Mikek. I, I come to you. I, I have. I, I have had an epiphany, and I, and I want to say this up front. Um, because I don't bow. Uh, and because I don't pander to the fans here, I've already accepted that this is not going to go my way um, because it never does because it's fun. It's fun to vote against me because I'm anti-casual um, fans. And so um, I am taking this as an experience. I am very happy to be here <laughs> hanging out with my two great friends, Jed and Mike and, and Casey. So three great friends. Um, and whatever this may be. Uh, whether this is to protect my ego uh, or my reputation um, or or actual honesty, you can decide. I am so happy to be here just hanging out with your, you three guys, no matter what the outcome of this is. So thank you for having me, um, and let's have a great time. This is wow, just – New Prince of Positivity. Either, yeah, I mean that was either like just a, a, a very positive start to the show or just a mighty first move in the chessboard – of what is BTL, but let's get into this thing. Let's begin in a place we don't start this program with very often, gentlemen. One championship. We're starting with one championship. I can't remember if that's ever happened before, but let's talk about Demetrius Johnson. The man goes out and exercises some demons. Speaking of redemption, got some vengeance on Adriana Marias, a stunning knockout in the fourth round of the main event of one on Amazon Prime One. I think that's the title, but it happened this past Friday and DJ has been showered with praise since, and rightfully so. So, New York Rick, you won the blind draw. 
What was your biggest takeaway with this win? And what have you learned the most since Friday night? Yeah, I've learned that um, I really don't know what to make of one's uh, hydration testing and weight cutting principles. That's definitely uh, something I learned because Adriano Moraes looked <laughs> bigger than Demetrius Johnson. Um, so I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, as far as the finish itself, I think we learned that uh, Demetrius Johnson still got it, whatever it is. The man is still um, top of his game. The man is still an absolute savage. Um, and yeah, that I think it would be interesting to see Demetrius Johnson compete against today's uh, flyweights in the UFC and and you know what that would look like. But he said to Ariel that he doesn't have any interest in going down to 125 anymore, making that weight, and he considers himself much more in the class of, of the 135-pound guys. I think obviously if the competition was at flyweight and he did compete in the UFC, I think you know there, there might be ways to convince him. Um, but yeah, I, I am interested in where Demetrius Johnson falls um, in, in the flyweight, you know, class, uh, across all organizations, uh, because he has proven that he's still there. So, uh, and, and our site, MMAfighting.com, great website, as Jed would say, uh, has voted him the number one flyweight in the world. So I, I, uh, agree with that. I concur, even though I'm not on the voting panel. Um, and yeah, there's, I, I, it, it makes me long for Demetrius Johnson versus other flyweights. Um, but he may not even be interested in that. I definitely want to go back to that part of it in a moment but Jed let's start with just the knockout and, and what you've sort of learned not just about Demetrius Johnson but maybe how people view him since Friday night I think we all just forgot like, I think it's really that simple because he went to the place where careers go to die which is one championship because <laughs> nobody cares but then one championship did this really smart thing um, they became watchable by partnering with one of the biggest companies in the entire world and everybody has prime and so it was very it's very easy to watch that if you had even a passing interest in combat sports you probably knew you know if you're on this website you know demetrius johnson's fighting and okay well it's friday night i got nothing else to do let's so oh, I'm, I'm already going through my tv apps here's amazon let's do the prime thing easy made it very digestible and that was enough to remind everybody that, oh, yeah, I know that this dude got robbed against Henry Cejudo in their rematch, and he actually never stopped being the best flyweight in the world. But then he was fighting a bunch of dudes that don't have wiki pages in an organization that uh, has an interesting bend on the truth. Let's just say that way. Uh, and so it's like, all right, whatever, man. Like you're – uh, you're not going to find a bigger RDR fan than I am, but I don't even have the balls to put him as the number one middleweight in the world. You know, like it's just sort of the fact of the matter of, of the competition in, in which you're competing. But then he comes out and a guy who knocked him out, a dude who is very obviously not a flyweight um, because my eyeballs don't lie to me at least uh, and comes out and, you know, overcomes a little adversity, has some struggles, but still shows that he's got the juice, baby. And and it was I mean for me, Rick talked about we we put DJ at number one uh, as a website. I am on the rankings panel. I didn't have him number one, and that was strictly a, I just forgot. I just forgot what this dude's about. And DJ reminded me. I was like, oh yeah, that dude's probably gonna dummy up like Davis and Figueroa if they fight. Like maybe not, but I, I would put my money on DJ to win that fight or against anybody else. Even though I know he told Ariel he doesn't want to make that weight cut he's still a flyweight in all the ways that realistically matter to me 
And he just reminded everybody, yeah, I'm probably actually the second or third best fighter of all time, depending on personal rankings. And don't forget about me just because I'm wallowing in this other org. Yeah, and, and, and just the rankings panel and, and everything about it, because I am also in the panel uh, on the panel. And as New York Rick talked about, DJ is back. I think this might be the first time he's been the number one flyweight in the world since we've actually put on the our rankings panel, yes. out there. Yeah, and, and this is just, I didn't put him at number one. And it's only because this is a very weird situation in, in total, because I didn't put Adriana Marias number one. I know there are a couple of panelists. I know one in particular definitely did. But, like, I just couldn't put Adriano Marias. Like, I'll put him in the rankings if, if everyone else is doing it because whatever, you jump off a bridge, you follow your buddies. But this like this guy's not a flyweight. Like, he's a, probably a featherweight, for, for God's sake. He looks, like, 30 pounds heavier than DJ in this fight. So, like, how, Jed, how, Jed, like, how are we going to be able to rank this guy moving forward? Like, I know we, we view him as a flyweight, but he wasn't a flyweight in this fight. He's essentially a bantamweight, like, should he be in the bantamweight rankings? Truth be told, or is he just going to be in the flyweight rankings until he retires from the sport? He is going to be a really weird case because we, uh, not to peel back the curtain too far, we've been having some internal discussions on this matter ever since DJ basically blew up our rankings by saying, I'm not a flyweight. <laughs> and when we were first putting these rankings together, I was adamantly opposed to counting the one championship weights as their as their titled weight because that's not the weight they compete at. And I got overruled. Everybody in the panel was like, Jed, you're an idiot. DJ is is actually a flyweight. Even though he fights at 135, he's really a flyweight. He's just not cutting weight. And at the time, I thought that that was wrong. But, you know. I'll go with the flow. Uh, I'll follow my buddies off the bridge, as you so eloquently put it. And I got overruled, but it's probably not. We're probably going to adjust is probably is, is what I assume is going to happen here because, you know, um, I am not a rocket doctor. Do do not get me wrong. <laughs> I find it very difficult to believe that Adriana Marias, who was overweight when he initially weighed in and failed hydration, somehow lost more weight to make weight while also then passing hydration because that doesn't make sense unless he physically removed a body part. Then, okay, I guess that's where the weight goes, but the way you cut weight is through hydration. So I have a lot of questions about the shadowy uh, whatever the hydration stuff is that one has said and has been parroted a lot as like, this is a great thing, but I don't know if it's true or valid or real. Uh, and guys like Adriana Marias make me think mm, something a little fishy might be going on there, but ultimately I don't really care because I never have cared because weight classes mean very little to me. It, it's just the eyeball test. And as far as my eyeballs go, if we are probably just going to end up keep keeping ranking DJ as the number one flyweight or at flyweight because we can't, you can't rank him at Bantamweight. He has nothing to base a ranking at Bantamweight off of. But this guy is very clearly one of the best fighters in the world. Your eyes aren't lying to you when you watch him compete. And so we all want to rank him somewhere. And so I, I think the answer is we're going to carve out an exception for DJ. But ultimately, you know, Adrian Marias may no longer end up being counted as a flyweight because that dude couldn't make 125. His life depended on it. Yeah. 
So let's just say New York, Rick. I mean, the man said it himself. I'm not a flyweight anymore. I'm not cutting down to flyweight. And maybe there's a world that changes that, you know, he comes back to an organization, maybe the UFC, where they actually have a flyweight division. But right now, he is not a flyweight. So if you were to rank him at Bantamweight right now, is he a top five Bantamweight? Or where would you put him? Top five, top 10? What do you think? Before I answer that, can I just say how interesting it is that he gets this huge win there are people who had Adriano Moraes ranked as our top flyweight and all the conversation is DJ versus UFC guys. It does really kind of speak to what the power of um, the UFC is when it comes to branding and when it comes to like where the top fighters compete. Um, And we're talking about DJ versus UFC bantamweights as opposed to like, Oh, maybe there's other interesting challenges uh, potentially for DJ at one. Anyway, there's there's just something to, to think about there and, and to be said for that. Where would I rank him as a bantamweight? I'll tell you, I'd have him. I definitely have him in a top 15. Um, that skill set, he is just so well-rounded. He is just so sharp. He is just so able to stick to a game plan combined with the natural gifts that he has, how fast he is. I'd have him somewhere in there, but man, that size would be too much to give up. It, it, there are just guys in in the 135-pound division that are as big as Adriano Marais and look just look like they're featherweights and and wouldn't would dwarf demetrius and it would be tough sledding against a lot of those guys and it's not like dj just came in there and steamrolled morais so i'd probably have him ranked but it would be on the fringes it, w- it would be you know somewhere in the top 10 to 15 um out of respect for his skill set and what he's able to do and his his championship medal and and his acumen but physicality wise size difference like if you just look at bantamweights, he's he's in a different weight class. He belongs in flyweight. That I think that you know ultimately what Jed and, and the site arrived at, he is a flyweight in my opinion and belongs there. Um, I would have him ranked, but yeah, I wouldn't take him against a lot of those guys. They are just way too big. All right, we'll move on. I, I don't want to talk about bantamweight rankings with Jed because I don't want to set off another debate about bantamweight and lightweight and all that stuff. But uh, I don't. I, I don't I, have any of that. I will just say that it would be dope if he was a bantamweight because then we get DJ Vicente and that fight would rule. Yes. Now, there is one other debate that has gone on since Friday, and it happens every time either guy in the conversation does anything in combat sports. We bring this back up from almost four years ago, the trade. DJ to one for Ben Askren. We hadn't seen anything like it before. We haven't seen anything like it since. But after this knockout... It was brought up on heck of a morning a lot, so I figured we could talk about it here. So, New York, Rick, I'll start with you. It's now September 1st, 2022, and we look back on this trade from almost four years ago. Who won it? What Was it the UFC getting Askren and everything that came because of that? Or was it, one, getting one of the greatest fighters to ever do it, and, well, he's still doing it and doing it pretty damn well? Is it a cop-out to sit on the fence and say that both sides won? Is it a cop-out to say that everybody benefited from that trade, that it was one of those rare trades where everybody got what they needed? I don't think Ben Askren was much value to one by that point. I think having somebody like Demetrius Johnson that you could throw on Amazon Prime for your debut show um, is a huge win for them. Somebody that the world was paying attention to and going, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy and now I've seen him again. If I'm doing it in measures, right, if I have to put degrees on it, I would say the UFC won more. I would definitely say that the UFC 
benefited more significantly and be it's you know as you laid out it's not necessarily that they got ben askren it's that they got ben askren which then made jorge masvidal which then sold them a ton of pay-per-views subsequent to that so it's all the fallout from the trade demetrius johnson could have been you know languishing at uh, in the uh, atop the flyweight division but it never would have turned into pay-per-view uh, numbers for them it, it just would have continued to be what it was um as great as he is there's there's just an unfortunate uh, side effect of, of the size at flyweight that they he he would not have been a pay-per-view draw would have not all suddenly shifted uh they benefited big time from jorge masvidal knocking out ben askren in five seconds and then the subsequent rise of jorge masvidal but it all started there with that trade um and so i would say they won more but man that was not going ben askren at, in one was not going to do them any more um from from that point forward so get being able to get dj on the back of that i think was a huge win for them as well uh but if i have to pick i'm picking the ufc benefited more jed do you agree with that i i I definitely understand why people can see both sides of the argument here but if you had to choose one you can look at it however way you want you can look at it from a business perspective you can look at it as simple as one guy's still fighting and one guy is not still fighting what do you think who actually won this trade as of right now I don't think anyone won it because I agree largely with what Ricky said, right? Like he, neither side is, is mad about this trade. If you offered them the same terms again, they would do it a hundred, both, both parties would do it a hundred times out of a hundred because the UFC didn't really want to be in the DJ business anymore. Frankly, they probably didn't want to be in that business the entire time he was champion because they sure didn't do anything at all to try and build him or promote him. In a, in a way that is commiserate with him being the best fighter on earth. So one, one got what they wanted out of this trade. They have one of the best fighters in the world. It is a guy who makes people take notice that they are at least a serious promotion in some regards. It gives them somebody to build some fight cards around, even if those fight cards aren't the biggest in mainstream popularity, et cetera. And everything Ricky said, the UFC got Ben Askren, who was a star, who they used to springboard, you know, uh, Jorge Masvidal into superstardom. I think if the UFC could redo it, they probably wouldn't have done the Masvidal-Askren fight. They probably would have just thrown Askren into a title fight after he beat Robbie Lawler. But, I mean, that's that's really splitting hairs there. Uh, I will say, if you're going to – I mean <clears> – <throat> I don't think anybody won because I think both sides are happy. I will say I think the fans lost, and I know that that's a really cliche, stupid thing to say, but I, God love DJ, and some of his fights have been fun. I don't care at all about him taking on uh, any of the other people in one. Like, right? Like, and, and I'm sorry if that makes me a bad fan or whatever, but like – like I don't care about that fight that fight means nothing to me and uh, a third fight with Cejudo would have been incredible it win or lose his next steps in the UFC would have been awesome like if he loses to Cejudo and then Cejudo still does his whole thing and goes and barks to get a second belt then DJ just reclaims the flyweight title or if he beats it then maybe instead of Cejudo being the guy that faces Dillashaw maybe we finally can do the DJ versus TJ fight. Like there's, and then all the other things, maybe he finally does move up to Bantamweight and we can do Jose Aldo. We can do Piotr Jan. Like those are fights that can rule Brandon Moreno, like who he is right now versus DJ in rules. Those fights kick so much ass. And so we lose because we don't get them and we're never going to get them. 
I don't think the promotions care at all, frankly. So I think the only thing that happened is the promotions got things they wanted and the fans did not get the best fights we could possibly get, which kind of sucks. Eric Rick, do you have any more to, anything more to add? Yeah, can I just add, it almost is irrelevant because we might, we might have ended up here anyway. Like Demetrius Johnson, with the way things were going with the UFC, was not happy. And you can see it in the way he, if you watch an interview from when he was in the UFC and watch it now, he's happy to not be cutting down to flyweight. He's happy to be with one. It could have ended that way anyway. Like th- this could have been inevitable where Demetrius Johnson fights out his contract, ends up somewhere else, is making tons of money, happy as can be. And Ben Askren could have either retired, walked away, ended up back in the UFC after a certain amount of time. So we might have ended up here anyway. I think the universe kind of corrected itself. Um, and ultimately, as we've said, nobody really won, lost the trade. Everybody's happy with it. Congratulations I mean, to DJ. Yeah, go A ahead. lot of people did lose, just, just so we're clear, because if the trade never happens – very real chance that Ben Askren just stops fighting because that's where he was at the time. He's like, I'm just not going to fight anymore. And then they send him to the UFC. And if that happens, then Jake Paul isn't a thing. So that's, I mean, we all lose in because then we don't influencer boxing exists because of this trade. And I don't think anybody talks about it enough, frankly, this trade created influencer boxing. So just recognize people. That's all I'm saying. It's a great that is a great point right there. Uh, and speaking of Jake Paul, your best guess for what last, we're going to be talking about next. But anyways, you know, congrats to DJ. He's obviously happy. He's making lots of money. His stock has risen immensely, and rightfully so. But not just because of the win, but even after Leon Edwards beat Kamara Usman, DJ was getting some extra love from the fans, talking about the record of consecutive title defenses and all that. He's getting a little bit of extra shine. It's been a damn good week for Mighty Mouse. But let's head. To the complete other side of the combat sports spectrum, the point for round one goes to it goes to Jed. He stole it at the end. That was a an excellent point. Rich, Using that's that to your gotta, advantage. You gotta you gotta save your best stuff for last. You gotta leave. It's like the way Robbie Lawler fought when he came back to the UFC and he was old. He would just fight at the start of the rounds and then at the end of the rounds to really make an impression on the judges. Congratulations. I'm just here to have some fun. I'm, I'm in awe. That was, that was truly special. <laughs> I'm just trying to teach you something, bud. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. 
As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So it was just brought up recently, and we talked about it a little bit last week because we did bring up Jake Paul, who has been teasing an announcement for a fight in October. He was saying that he's going to fight a professional boxer. His management team saying he's got to be the underdog. And then multiple reports have surfaced since. We confirm with people with knowledge of the situation that discussions are ongoing, that a fight is being targeted between Jake Paul and the former longtime UFC middleweight champion, Anderson Silva. Now, nothing official yet. I know these talks are very legit. They're serious. And it seems like this could very well happen in a little over a month. Now, I know October 29th is a date that's being thrown out. But again, nothing official. So, Jed... My man, you talked last week about being over the Jake Paul stuff. And this is something you are not alone in. You are not on an island here. But if this is the actual fight that happens, if this is the fight that is booked and he boxes Anderson Silva, how do you react to this? Are you back in, at least for this fight? Just when I thought I was out, Mike, they pull me back in. It's this is the fight that should have happened the whole time. This is a fight everybody knew. It was obviously the fight that made the most sense from a Jake Paul's whole thing standpoint. It's a a clear level up in competition. I always had assumed he was trying to put this fight off because uh, the way time works, um, time is linear, and Anderson Silva does not get younger as time goes on. That's just a fact. So the further off he can push this. You used to see Floyd Mayweather love to do this trick uh, a lot. He super did this to Manny Pacquiao. <laughs> he's like, the longer I can wait till Manny Pacquiao loses some of some of what he's got, that will be better for me. So let's just keep kicking that can down the road. Uh, evidently, Jake has felt either he's really feeling himself or he believes that Anderson is old enough now that time to strike while the iron is semi-warm. And hopefully we're going to get it. I have so many questions about what's going to happen in this fight that I am by definition interested. One, because I will watch Anderson Silva fight anybody. His boxing has been, we talked about it all last year, Anderson Silva improbably in boxing became like one of the rare feel-good stories in combat sports where this dude had been losing and losing and losing and all it did was break all of our hearts to watch this, this great fall to father time and then he's going to go box and this is going to go horribly but it hasn't it's gone great and i don't know if the clock's about to strike midnight on this man because jake paul is not a great boxer but he is young he has some ability at it 
and he's not 50 years old or whatever the hell Anderson is at this point. And you don't see 50-year-old people excel in combat sports all that often. So I have a ton of questions. I will almost certainly be watching this either professionally or personally. And it, it makes all the sense in the world and just one-time dealer. I'm asking one-time dealer, give Anderson Silva the strength. I don't care if it's gas station pills or whatever it is, give that man the strength to do the thing that needs to be done and get one more victory to ride out on. Eric, your reaction to this potential fight, are you in on this? Like, even if you, I mean, you're probably going to be working it, but even if you don't have to work, is this something that you are going to plop down some money to watch regardless? Yeah, I'm in on this fight. I've been in on, in on this fight. Jake Paul in this in this uh, effort to become a boxer, I think has made very few missteps. Uh, the one misstep I believe he has made was, and maybe this is him, maybe this is his team, they've had a fixation on beating a quote-unquote real boxer. And you see this in the bookings of uh, Hasim Rahman Jr. And you see this in the bookings of Tommy Fury to quote, beat a quote-unquote real boxer. To me... It's not necessary. I think there's a, there's this kind of uh, – and, and you hear Dana White talking about this. He should fight somebody real. You hear a lot of people talking about this. If Jake Paul was to go in there and knock out Tommy Fury or if Jake Paul was to go in there and knock out Hasim Rahman Jr., nobody would give him credit. It doesn't matter if they were a real boxer, a fake boxer, something adjacent to that. It does not matter at all. They would be looking for a reason to hate on Jake Paul. So I've always thought kind of testing those waters and wasting that time fighting uh, uh, looking to book fights with those guys was a misstep his only misstep so far now the, the universe has corrected itself and, and righted itself this has always been the fight to make it's going to be the most exciting fight i don't care how many people watch love island because none of them are watching a fight with tommy fury no tommy fury stinks and nobody wants to watch him fight anderson silva is a legend in the sport of uh, mma is a legend in combat sports and somebody that people will tune in to watch fight because he has created magic on our televisions for many years jake paul anderson silva is the fight has always been the fight and quite frankly i think we wasted a lot of time getting to it maybe intentionally as jed laid out i kind of like that theory maybe intentionally uh but the universe has righted itself i'm very zen about the whole thing i'm happy to be here and i will be watching I know we work for a website called MMAfighting.com, so maybe we're biased in a sense, but it's a great Eric, website. It's a great, great website. website. Best website in the world. Now, does this fight do more for Anderson Silva or Jake Paul, in your opinion? Like maybe the right answer is based on the result, but looking at it now, it's not even official yet, but we feel like there's a very good chance this happens. So on paper, the idea, the build, et cetera, like who gets more of the rub with just the idea of this fight now that we're close to it? Yeah, it's going to be Jake because he needs a name like this, right? Jake, Jake's intention at this point is just to keep collecting names. And uh, I don't want to say another term, but basically he needs to keep putting names on the resume. He needs to keep putting names on uh, on his ledger. For Anderson Silva, it kind of de it depends on what's next, right? Like if Anderson Silva can parlay this into something even bigger, then it could potentially be Silva. But it seems to me, and it's always kind of been the, the story of Anderson Silva's career, is kind of he's a little bit mysterious. He kind of just like hangs around the fringes and like this may be a fight where he takes a Jake Paul fight, wins it, and then fights somebody nobody cares about as, or has ever heard of. He's a little bit wacky and weird in that way. There's a, there's a martial arts Bushido element to it as well. So 
it really like I, I just don't see Anderson Silva having the cachet or, or or even the intention and motivation to capitalize on this, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know what would be next for him, but I don't think it would be something he'd be able to build. Whereas for Jake Paul, if he's able to claim uh, Anderson Silva and he's able to put that name on his resume, then you start getting into territory where it's like, hey, you know, what's Conor McGregor doing? What's Floyd Mayweather doing? You start to you start to put yourself in that echelon where you can start calling for those and people and they won't laugh you out of the building. And now you have some names on your resume. So um, I think Jake Paul has a lot more to gain potentially from this fight. I don't think Anderson Silva necessarily necessarily has the the path or the mechanism to kind of benefit from a win here. It will be nice. And I think there will be a lot of people rooting for it. But I don't know what he can make of it as opposed to what Jake Paul can make of it. Who, Jed, do you think needs to win this one more? Because, you know, Eric kind of laid it out, positive situation. Most have been saying all along that even with the talks of this fight, if he fights Anderson Silva, he'll lose. So there's almost like a weird built-in expectation, especially amongst the MMA community, that Anderson Silva will win this fight. And maybe that impacts future fights for Jake. Of course, Nate Diaz is about to fight his deal next weekend. But Anderson has looked great boxing. He's been a feel-good story, like you said, and he's enjoying himself. But losing to Jake Paul in a boxing match, that stink doesn't ever go away. Just ask Ben Askren, ask Tyron Woodley. So it's maybe not for like future sake in terms of like who the next opponent's going to be, but who, in your opinion, needs to win this fight more? Is it Jake Paul or Anderson Silva? Neither of them. Neither of them need to win this. Anderson Silva's 50 damn years old, Mike. He's 50. He's supposed to lose to the 20-year-old. Like it's if he goes out and loses, nothing changes for him. He maybe I, I will say I I agree with a lot of what Eric said. I think that there is a world where if Anderson Silva wins this fight, the next thing he does is box Mike Tyson. Like that is the thing that makes sense to me, is that he can make that one happen. And he could have probably maybe made that happen anyway, even without beating Jake Paul, just so long as he didn't lose. But if he loses, the Tyson fight's probably gone off the table. But I think that is, I mean, we'd tune in to watch that carnival. Like that's for sure a thing that people would care about. So he can get that. But if he loses, he's a 50-year-old dude who was supposed to be done fighting a long time ago, had this really fun second act that we, I mean, really a fourth act, I guess, that we didn't anticipate and now it's, okay, well, you've got a lot of money. You're one of the greatest of all time in your sport. You're going to be A-OK, buddy. Go on and prosper. Watch your your son embark on his own fight journey, coach it, whatever you want to do. It's fine. Jake Paul is a 27-year-old millionaire, like multi, multi, multi-millionaire. He's going to be just fine if he loses this fight. And honestly, he is now insulated from a loss. Even losing to a 50-year-old dude is a tough hang, but – Influencer boxing is here. It's like real. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be here and be real, but if Jake Paul loses, he could just go fight KSI like that. And that will do more pay-per-views than anything else we covered that year. Bet like bet that. So he going to be, nobody needs this. It is probably, it is better for Jake Paul to win by virtue of he where he is at in his age because he has more other opportunities afterwards, but it does not matter at all. If either of these men lose, they're going to be totally okay because Nate Diaz will still box Jake Paul. If he loses Conor McGregor will still box Jake Paul. If he loses, he going to still get the big bags. It, it just, it doesn't, it, there are no stakes to this only intrigue. 
All right. Well, we'll move on because I know how, I mean, I know how much everybody loves Jake Paul talk on the show, but uh, I feel we'll move on. We'll save it for another time. We're, we'll get you. We're to not going to talk about KSI. Week. Two, fight, what do you two fights say about KSI? in one night. Two fights in one night, Mike. Who else is doing that? I don't know. Maybe Salt Poppy crazy. Can, can have two fights in one night. That dude can can throw a little bit. Salt Poppy had some hands. Uh, Dean the Great, who was on the undercard, that guy is going to tool up anybody in the influence. Like that guy actually looked like he was maybe a club level boxer. Like he had he had some juice. So uh, he would dust up KSI if they uh, if they were the same weight class. But you know. I'm all in on influencer boxing. I've decided. I don't know who any of these freaking people are, but I don't care. I'm just going to be in on it. Let's do it. Well, we got more next Saturday, the same day as UFC 279, and we're going to see Le'Veon Bell and freaking Adrian Peterson box each other on that social gloves card. But let's head back to the UFC. Let's go back to the UFC. We'll do that next, but the point for round two goes to... Consistency start to finish. New York Rick on the board. One to one. Good stuff. It's usually never a good thing. Usually the the trigger for me on giving points is when a panelist says, I agree with everything or almost everything that opponent B said. And he went first and he said the right things. What am I supposed so to there do? You go. Lie? Well, there you go. Hey, listen, you're you're the guy who can argue anything, so. Listen, it's one-to-one. You're, you're not getting shout out or anything like that. But let's talk about the UFC because they didn't have an event last weekend. They are heading to Paris, France for the first time. Early day MMA, by the way, which scratches me right where I itch. The main event, a big one in the heavyweight division. Cyril Gaon, first fight since the title loss to Francis Ngannou. Hometown fight for Mr. Gaon taking on the surging, ever-popular Tai Tuivasa. So New York, Rick, we'll begin with you. Your thoughts on this main event, the betting lines, and how you've seen sort of the MMA community react to this one around 48 hours or so away from this thing. Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued in the main event. I think we could be looking at a Tai Tuivasa title opportunity, which to me just feels good. It feels right. It's kind of like when we were staring down the barrel of the multiple Derek Lewis uh, title opportunities. There, I was not sure that we'd ever get there. And then when we did, I was so happy that it happened regardless of result. Um, so yeah, I, I think we, I think we are looking at a potential tie to Ivasa title earning opportunity. I definitely, I, you know, you asked about the betting lines. I don't think the betting lines are right on this one, to be honest, this is a dog or pass situation. Um, for me, I think ties a, a game and live, um, underdog in this one. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm probably lower. I'm not as high on Cyril Ghosn as most. I think his lack of power in a division that requires power um, is going to come back to, to harm him and hurt him. Um, I think it happened in the Francis Ngannou fight, although that played out a little more as a grappling match than a striking battle, as we probably expected. But I just think if you are a heavyweight who doesn't have the stopping power to keep people off you and your biggest weapon is your cardio, you're going to have a lot of success. But there's just going to be some guys like Tai Tuivasa and like Derek Lewis, who every once in a while walk right into your mug and hit you with something that puts you down. Um, and I think there's an opportunity for Tai Tuivasa to do just that here. Conventional wisdom would say that Cyril Gan plays a safe game, stays on the outside, tires him out, and then comes on in later rounds and finishes Tai Tuivasa. Uh, I think Tai is going to get it done. I'll go out on the limb and say I think Tai is going to be able to get it done. 
but I'm a big fan of this matchup. I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Um, and I think the stakes are extremely high and for and also a win for Cyril here feels significant, right? Like in the UFC's debut in France, he'll get the treatment that, that he's back and he's the, the next destroyer. Um, and you can very easily on the back of that sell Cyril gone, uh, walking into a next title opportunity or, you know, even another fight against another top contender, should that be the case? But, um, it will feel very significant for Cyril gone. And if it's tied to Ivasa, he shocks the world. Um, I think that's significant as well. So a lot on the line here, uh, but I don't necessarily agree with kind of the, the betting line at the moment. The betting line, according to our friends at DraftKings, use the promo code the MMA Hour and get some bonus stuff. But Cyril Gaon, minus five twenty favorite, tied to Ivasa, the the underdog, coming back at plus four ten. And Jed, I'm sure you and Connor discussed this at length on No Bets Bard, great podcast. Go check that out on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network. But but let's talk about it here. What, what what's your reaction to the fight? What kind of questions do you have? How intrigued are you by this matchup? You know, I know you hate this, Mike, but I got to say I, I agree with with Rick because the betting lines are way off. Uh, Cyril Gaon should be a minus 1,000 favorite. He's going to beat the shit out of Tatarasa. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here, man. Like, this is, this is an awful matchmaking as far as I'm concerned. I know you hate it, Mike. We talked about it before. This is – I think this is the worst style matchup you can give Ty in the entire – like, maybe Curtis Blades is, is worse. <laughs> because it's Curtis Blades, but like there is, this is, this is what Cyril Gaon does. Like we, we have seen him fight this fight. Almost every UFC fight he's had, like Derek Lewis and Ty Tuivasa are very, very similar fighters. <laughs> you know, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, very similar. Even late stage JDS, pretty, pretty working in the same ballpark. And Francis Ngannou, he was beating Francis Ngannou. He just couldn't stop a takedown. Like, for all Rick wants to talk about his lack of power, and I'm not saying he lack. I don't think he lacks power. I think he just actively does not care to flash it until the moment when he really smells blood, which maybe is a dangerous game in the world of heavyweights. I think he is just in total control of every striking situation because that is absolutely what has happened. Francis Ngannou... Knee injury, absolutely. Let's give credit where it is. His his knee was not not working, but he came up on so much air against Gon. Gon was just taking him to school. He was the bus driver. Load him up. I'm gonna teach you how this kickboxing thing works. And then the only reason Gon won is because he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna tackle you, and you can't stop me doing that. And it was great adjustment by Ngannou. But come on. Come on, Ty's not doing that. Ty's just going to try and get up in his chili, and he's not going to be able to because Gon's footwork is far too good. He's just going to dance around him, pot-shotting him, and keep coming. Maybe Gon even takes Ty down because he he has a little bit of offensive grappling of his own, and and then that happens. But mostly I just think this is going to be uh, a matador in the bowl, and this will go on as long as Ty's durability holds up. He's super durable, and... But as it goes on, if he does, if he gets reckless, then he's going to get clipped and killed. Like that's uh, he is just going to get leg kicked, leg kick, leg kick. Gets way too reckless, then he's going to get shot. I genuinely, outside of a miracle haymaker, I have no idea how Tatu Ivasa wins this fight because Siogan is is levels above him in the striking realm. 
So New York Rick, Jed mentioned the stakes in this fight. So I'm curious to get your idea of what is at stake here, because to me, this is a must win for Cyril Gaon. He has to win. His future is certainly bright. But right now, the way this heavyweight division is shaping up with all the unknowns and all the uncertainty, you can't really take too many back steps if you're a guy like Cyril Gaon. Plus, you're doing it at home. They built. They basically built this card in Paris around you. And for Taito Ivasa, it's not house money, but it kind of is considering the breakdown you just had and how people look at this one on paper. Just look at the freaking betting odds. So let's go back to Jed here real quick. But a win for Tui Ivasa, Jed, if he can get this done – He's in a real interesting spot. So what is on the line here for both of these guys? See, I disagree with what you just said there, though, Mike. I think Ty is the one who can't afford to take a backward step because let's all be honest what Ty Tuivasa is. He's really fun. We love him. God, we love him. He's not the best heavyweight in the world. He's not probably actually even one of the five best. But he finds himself in that position because of the status Derek Lewis held. But if you look – and we talked about a no-bets bar. You – don't spend too much time looking at Ty's current win, win streak because um, it is aged about as well as milk. Derek Lewis, Augusto Sakai, Greg Hardy, Harry Hunsucker, Stefan Struve. Three of those gentlemen are no longer in the UFC. Derek Lewis has lost God knows how many in a row. And Augusto Sakai is freaking Augusto Sakai, man. Like that's <laughs> that is not the win streak of a guy who is one of the five best heavyweights in the world. So any step backwards. It's like sliding down a mountain. He is going to have to climb his way back up there. And I don't know if, frankly, he has the tools to do it. Cyril Ghosn is very young, very early in his MMA development. If he loses here, I would be astonished, as I said. But I see a clear path for him to put to put things together and get the wins to get back here. That's why I hate this fight because I think a loss removes Ty as a title contender. And I don't. I think the the window for him to be that is so narrow. We should be jumping on it because he is fun. Because the, he's a fan favorite. Like that's how you should be promoting is to get this guy who people love into that high leverage situation. Whereas people don't feel that way about Cyril Gaon. So uh, for me, I think the winner of this is unfortunately just in the mix because heavyweight is so backlog. Because they're trying to do the Jones Stipe thing because no one knows where Ngannou's going because Curtis Blades is still looming. The winner of this is probably going to have to fight Curtis Blades ultimately for a number one contenders match against either the interim champion who will be promoted or the winner of that fictional interim championship versus Francis Ngannou way down the line. So it's unfortunate with the backlog, but that's why I hate this fight for Tui Vasa. Yeah, if that interim fight even happens, because the longer time goes, if you're John Jones, you might as well just wait to fight Francis. Wait two more months uh, and fight Francis. If Francis resigns, I will say that if Tai Tuivasa wins this fight, uh, I don't really care what your stupid plans are about whatever. Book that dude against John Jones for the interim title. Like, I, who gives a crap about Stipe? Ty versus John Jones. You want John to have the belt anyway. Clearly, that's what the goal is. Ty, Ty Tuivasa, John Jones is a thousand percent the fight if Ty pulls this off. Yeah. I mean, Eric, I mean, for Cyril, Not, like if he wins, he's fighting, he's fighting Curtis Blades. Like we know where this is going, but if Ty wins, I mean, we could just stop this whole heavyweight Grand Prix conversation and just whatever Ty Tuivasa does next, a title needs to be attached to it, right? Like interim, whether it's for the, for the real belt, depending on how timelines shape up, Ty Tuivasa, if he beats Cyril Gaon, his next fight has to be for a championship, right? 100%. And let me just say not 
not if, but when tied to Ibasa wins, <laughs> his next fight will be for a championship. Let me let me just say one thing. I disagree with Jed uh, for the first time in this show for for a little bit, and that's on the basis of I don't think this is tied to Ibasa's last opportunity. And I'll cite precedent here. I used to think like that. Then I saw Derek Lewis get two title shots. So to me, what I've noticed and and what I've been seeing. In, in UFC, the meritocracy has died a long time ago. We can all acknowledge that. Tai Tuivasa has a style of knocking out, knocking people out. And I, I think you've eloquently pointed to the resume that it's not great fighters. But, and let's be honest, heavyweight's not great fighters, period. If he can string <laughs> together, <laughs> yeah, if he strings together three in a row, I think he's back here again. So I don't think the stakes are very high for Ty. I'm, uh, honestly, I really do think this is a bit of a house money thing. I think it's like if I can get this done one more time, yeah, I'm, I'm knocking on the door and I, and I have a title shot. If I don't, let me knock out three more dudes and get right back. I think they're more willing, the UFC as a promotion, are more willing to put guys like Derek Lewis and Ty Tuivasa into title fights than they are Cyril Gaon, quite frankly. Because when you have Cyr- the problem with Cyril Gaon is he's good enough to beat everybody. But once you have him as your champion and he's point fighting guys to 50, 45 decisions, is that the guy you want holding your belt? Is that the guy you want fighting for your title opportunities? He's not He's not tied to Ivasa. He's not the guy that you shoehorn into the opportunity. So I think the stakes are pretty high for Cyril from the perspective that like if he has to build back, he's going to have to build back and take the long road. Whereas a guy like Ty, a guy like Derek Lewis, the fans want it so desperately that you just knock a few guys out and you're right back there. So I think there's I think there's stakes on both sides. I think there, there's an opportunity to be had for both guys here. But I, I will say, I don't think that this is the end of Tai Tuivasa by any means. I don't think this is that one magic run um, because we've seen it before. Like th- this is Derek Lewis 2.0. Like if you can put a few together, you're right back there. Uh, but to answer the original question, when Tai Tuivasa wins this, yes, you have to do a Tai Tuivasa title fight. What's more fun than that? And the build between him and John Jones has already started. It's kind of hilarious. The the half respect, half like um, competitive juices flowing uh, exchanges that they've had in the DMs and things like that. I'd be very interested in Tai Tuivasa versus John Jones. Scrap the the Stipe stuff. Let's stop waiting and let's get John Jones in the octagon at heavyweight. And uh, t- there's no better opponent than Tai Tuivasa. Let's just get that done. Let me very briefly okay. counter Rick, just because <laughs> I won't stand for this slander on Derek Lewis, who's not a great fighter. But just so we're clear, his two title fights came. The first one, he he beat Marcin Tybura, Francis Ngannou, and Alexander Volkov. Those are three currently top 10 heavyweights. That's an entirely justified title fight. The second one, Blago Ivanov, Ilya Latifi, Alexi Olenek, those are middling. Still, I would say better than Ty's current win streak, frankly, but middling. But he also then knocked out Curtis Blades, and so he got an interim title fight. Those are far more justifiable than Ty beating Stefan Struve. So like, I'm not saying he can't do it, but he has yet outside of Derek Lewis. I haven't seen him beat anybody who's good. I've seen him beat Harry Hunsucker and that's, (laughs) I need to see more. Completely fair counter. This would be the Curtis Blades, right? If he gets Cyril gone, if he gets Cyril gone, this would be the Curtis Blades in that, in that run. If he beats Cyril gone, he Give yep. all the title, like a real legitimate. I don't screw the John Jones thing. Do Tuivasa versus Nganu. Like, if he beats Khan, <laughs> I legitimately, I'm in on that fight. That would be yeah. fun as hell. 
because uh, maybe Ty's chin, maybe Ty's chin just can't be broken by Ngannou's mega punching, and then then all bets are off, baby. Anything can happen. See, but you see this yeah. energy. This is the difference. The energy around talking about Tai Tuivasa versus Cyril Gan. People Dude, want I love this. Cyril there's, Gan. Th- there's I know momentum. that I'm a weirdo, but I love Cyril yeah. Gan. I think you're, he, I think you're I on think an island there. I I think he's the best heavyweight in the world. I know he lost to Francis Ngannou. I, he's maybe not right now, but in two years, I think he's the best heavyweight in the world. Also, Curtis Blades is probably the best heavyweight in the world, if we're being honest. <laughs> well, let's. <laughs> but nobody let's cares about that. <laughs> Let's move on. I think if you're Stipe Miocic, you are actively a Cyril Gaon fan Ooh. on Saturday because Ooh. I do, and I know you love this. If Tai Tuivasa wins, Stipe just loses tremendously. And I'm sure, Jed, you will come on the post-fight show and be very sad about that. I got to say, I respect Stipe's plan of never fighting because it's hard to lose <laughs> momentum if you just never compete. There's no momentum to lose or gain if you just constantly don't fight. Well... Let's uh, before those two heavyweights fight, there's going to be a bunch of other fights. So that's what we're going to talk about next. The point for round three goes to. Just to peel back the curtain, points are usually given for how well you present your argument. I don't technically give points that often for agreeing with somebody, but I agree wholeheartedly with New York Rick. And that's why he gets the point. It's two to one there. Except for he is the one who said that this is good matchmaking, and I know you hate this, Mike. I know you hate this. I don't like the matchmaking, but it's actually not – like at first I hated it, but it's not all that horrendous in in the long game because even if Ty goes out there and loses a decision or gets stopped late or something – he could still headline fight night made events. He's still going to be featured on main cards. He's still going to be presented as a star, and people are still going to want to see him. So the loss stinks, but at the end of the day, I don't think it – it really crushes him that much. And like Rick said, it goes out there and gets a couple knockouts. He's a fresh matchup for all these guys. So there you go. But let's go to the rest of the card. And Jed, I want to start with you. I'm very excited about this because you're the guy I usually go to in these types of situations. Is this UFC Paris card on Saturday one that you're going to tell your millions upon millions of fans to give up a Saturday for and watch start to finish? No. Um, so there's some good things going on here. Let's start with the positives. Uh, it's a f- debut in Paris. It's a daytime card. Love that. But I will be totally honest because I always am. You know me, Mike. Very transparent. Uh, if this weren't my job and I weren't working Saturday, I probably would not be I, – I might be having it on. But uh, I don't know if you've heard my uh, college football starts this weekend. And I also don't know if you've heard there's a little team called the Georgia Bulldogs who are the defending – national champions uh, and they will be playing Oregon uh, right during the middle of this card so I can't tell people that this is what they should watch when I might not be watching it if I weren't working it because of that and especially now with football back a lot of people got a lot of other things to be watching that being said this card is if probably better than next weekend's pay-per-view which is a stunning condemnation of that card but there are a couple of really good fights on this card. There are some that I don't care about, and there are some weirdos in here. Also, the card placement. I know Casey is big on card placement. I have no idea what the hell they were doing with some of these fights being here, but whatever. But the main event is a relevant good heavyweight fight, uh, and it might not even be bad by heavyweight standards. Like, So that's that's dope. The co-main event rules. It, I, we haven't talked about it at all, but 
Marvin Vittori versus Robert Whitaker. That's for the title of second second best middleweight in the world. Functionally, um, I know Alex Pajero exists, but this is these are the two proven middleweight commodities. Uh, that fight's a great fight. Uh, there's some other fights here that are weird, but John McDessie, Nazar Hawkpross, probably gonna be really fun. Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood is gonna be an insane. Like that fight is gonna rule. Uh, and then there are some fights on the undercard that are okay. So it is not a, a high level. If I'm doing the AK scoring, it, it's a seven. Point four or something like that totally good enough if you've got nothing else going on on saturday fire it up watch it um especially the top top fights really good stuff there but there is a lot of if this still had the Fioro fight on it um be it against chukagian or jessica Andrade or i we're back on chukagian now i think i think that would really give this card a boost because i think it does need one more marquee fight to it but still a solid enough card you know good Worth a watch. Ricky, what's 7.4? Where are you at? Zero. Nothing. Without Cedric Dumbe, this card is nothing. <laughs> I am not interested at all. I just talked you about You think Ty Duvas is about to pull off the biggest about, upset of the year and you don't just, give a shit about this card? I just sold that main event better than anybody's going to sell it, and I love that main event. But the fact that it's happening on this cursed card without Cedric Dumbe, zero. I cannot, by, by his absence, by Cedric the best Dumbe's absence, I cannot support a fight, a UFC fight card in France happening without Cedric Dumbe. I just can't. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm planting my flag here and it may cost me and maybe I'm not making a great compelling argument for it. But Cedric the best Dumbe was the thing that I was most interested uh, in on this entire card, um, and the fact that we are not getting it, and the and when we're we're potentially looking at Cedric Dumbe to, to be fighting high level competition is still murky and up in the air. I am displeased, unsatisfied, frankly outraged, and I'm I'm scoring this a zero without Cedric the best Dumbe. Wow. I, I said what I said. Wow. Well, I can't, I can't leave you like that because when we talk about stakes of fights, that usually riles you back up. So let's talk about the co-main event, New York, Rick. Whitaker Vittori. Jed mentioned it's a battle for number two, which I completely agree with. But I also have to say, this might be the most under-the-radar fight of the entire year because nobody is talking about this fight. We're talking about Paris. We're talking about the main event, other mentions of other fights, but very little talk about this one this one's just kind of sprung up on people in a lot of ways and we talked about main event stakes and that got you riled up but this fight like we have Whitaker who is talking about maybe going up to 205 we have Marvin Vittori who just like Whitaker has lost to the current champion twice what is actually at stake here outside of just being the number two middleweight in the world New York Rick yeah, I'll say one thing. Let me just address why I think potentially this is flying under the radar a little bit. And I think it's kind of an, an unusual placement, right? Like this to me feels like either a fight night headliner or a co-main on a pay-per-view, right? It's very odd that this is happening on the co-main of a fight night. Like this fight just feels too significant and too important and between two guys who are just too good and too highly ranked. Um, so it just feels odd. I think most people might not even know that a fight that of this caliber and quality is happening um, in the co-main of, of a fight night. That to me is kind of where it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle because quite frankly, this is this is 
a better fight night headliner than half the fight nights they're already doing. So I'm not sure what the reasoning for that is. Timing must be, must be to blame for it. But I think it's just because of where it is placed, people may be overlooking it. As far as the fight itself, I think there is a little bit of a lack of stakes just from the perspective that like, as long as Israel Adesanya is champion, I can't see Robert Whittaker getting another crack. It, I would love to. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate and I've long been an advocate for give me the two best uh, fighters in a weight class and let them fight 100 times. I've said it, I believe, on this show and definitely on the MMA Hour. Davis and Figueredo versus um, Brandon Moreno. Run it back 100 times. I really don't care. I, I am game to see it as many times as they're willing to do it. Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya, do it 100 times. I'm good with that. Those are the two best middleweights in the world, and I'm happy to see it that many times. So the lack of stakes, I think, comes into play as well with Robert Whitaker. I don't think knocking on the door of a title shot anytime soon. He's kind of he's going to kind of have to take the long road back uh, to potential title opportunity. Obviously, if um, Pahea can get it done, then there then there's a clear road back. And for Marvin Vittori, are you interested in seeing him versus Israel Adesanya again? Less so, even so. There's really, there's really not a lot on the line here. It's kind of like a number one contender fight without actually being for number one contendership, unless Alex can win. Um, but as far as the matchup itself, I'm a big Robert Whitaker fan. Believe in his skill set. Think that he's going to have the tools to neutralize Marvin Vittori. But this is one of the tougher matchups for most fighters in the division. Marvin Vittori just he's he's meat and potatoes but he does it very well and he mixes everything well together um so i could see him having success but i truly believe that it's if i'm looking at the middleweight division i believe that it's israel adesanya robert whitaker and then everybody else um so i think he'll be able to prove that um on saturday night but yeah there's it's it's a tough one and an odd one uh but i i definitely think there's still some intrigue too jed what's at stake here in this number two contenders fight outside of just the number two contendership Oh, that's it. Nothing's at stake. Neither of these two dudes are getting a title fight because even if Pajeda wins, I mean, maybe they don't run Izzy back just because, but I think the UFC probably wouldn't care. They'd probably just run Izzy right back. Um, yeah, I don't... These guys are just fighting for the title of we'd be that dude but for Izzy, and, and that's okay. Uh, I will answer the other part of this, which is why no one's talking about this, because uh, Martin Vittori. As, do you do you know two facts about Marvin Vittori other than that his his chin cannot be broken by man or God um, and that he is a functional square like you can't like he's he's just he's not interesting like he's not an interesting fighter or person and I love Marvin Vittori because he's so uninteresting he's the, I I don't remember if it was this I think it was on BTL maybe it was somewhere else I called him the middle weightiest middleweight that's ever middleweighted. Um, because he is, he's, his game is meat and potatoes, as Rick said, but it is a hearty meat and potatoes where he just comes forward. You can't knock him out. So it just like, he would suck to fight. There are a lot of, like, it would suck to fight any professional fighter. Cause I am not as good at fighting as him. But like, if I was, he would just be the kind of guy that'd be miserable to fight because he is always going to be in your freaking grill and you can't knock him out. Like, did at any point in the what is it now combined 40 minutes that Israel Adesanya fought him did it look like Izzy had fun at any point during that fight no he was just 
hitting him, hitting him. Shit, I'm up against the fence against this dude who's just holding me. This sucks. Herb, get him off me. Hit him, hit him. I am hitting the crap out of this dude, and he just keeps coming. He is exhausting. And so I, I too, believe that Robert Whitaker is a better fighter. And if I'm just picking it straight up, I'm going to pick Robert to win this fight. But, like, a lot of good fighters have been broken by just the – the like the Homer Simpson relentlessness of Marvin Vittori, and like it wouldn't at all surprise me if he just because we saw it, we saw it the other weekend, Mike. You don't have to score takedowns. I said this on No Bets Bard. You don't have to complete takedowns to win fights. Apparently, you can just hold a man's leg against the fence, and then they're gonna give you that. Oh, he won because he did nothing, but he held him against the fence for 15 minutes looking at you, Marab Valashvili. And so Marvin could absolutely do that to Robert Whitaker because Robert can't knock him out. So I said, I don't know about part. You give me a baseball bat and a shotgun and I can't get Vittori out of there. And so like we're going to have 15 minutes of something, but it's probably even if it's even if Bobby Knuckles wins, probably not going to be that fun because he's just going to be on his bike and just hitting him, hitting him and moving. But it's a great fight. It's high-level mixed martial arts, as Jose Young likes to say. And so I'm here for it, but I totally know why nobody's talking about this fight. Wow. Well, let's move on. Let's move on after that. I mean, I think we know where this point is going because no one has sold Marvin Vittori better in the history of his career than what Jed Bashu just did. So just play the winner. We'll play the drum roll just for, just for effect. Go ahead. Jed gets the point. Just tremendous stuff right there. That is how you define Marvin Vittori as a fighter. So that means they're going to the knockout round. We're going to ask one question. Same question for both gentlemen. Each will have one minute to answer. We don't have Brian Campbell here, so we're not going to go two minutes or or longer like he did. (laughs) Love you, BC. But Jed, you are the guy. We by and by the way, this is the question we were going. I was going to ask last week because people have been asking me about it over over again so i'm gonna bring it up here because jet and bc got into a different debate about weight classes and which one was better so we had to continue that that ongoing beef so jed what do you want to do here do you want to go first do you want to set the table if you will or do you want to pass this over to new york rick i will pass it on over all right new york rick this has been a question that changes all the time everyone's answers continue to change but We have, it's not just the UFC, as fans know, there are multiple promotions out there. And every year, every time a company has an event, whether it be successful or not, this question always comes up. So I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there. UFC is number one, clearly. Who is the number two clear cut MMA promotion in the world right now? One minute on the clock, your time starts now. I, I love this question because I'm I'm a firm believer in one specific answer for this question, and that answer is the PFL. And the reason is because they're one of the only organizations, if not the only organization, that's doing something that's not UFC light. It's not same type of promotion with the exact same path to a title shot with the exact same uh, form and and way that people earn opportunities except without the roster that the UFC has Um, and it's the reason we tune most of them out now if you're going to ask me like who's drawing the most eyeballs I really don't know I think it's probably negligible and, and insignificant between all of them but I think PFL is doing the best job of 
doing something completely different than the UFC with the uh, tournament, doing something completely different with the fighters that they're targeting and and uh, type of money that they're willing to spend on talent. Um, and yeah, it's it really comes down to because they are a product that is complementary and secondary to what the UFC is offering and everybody else is just uh, an imitation and quite frankly, not that good. All right. New York Rick siding with the PFL. And Jed, I love this question because, I mean, you could, at different points, you could you could make a compelling case for all of them. And every time they okay. get a little momentum, they shoot themselves in the foot and then they fall backwards and then another one comes and then they do the same thing and on and on we go. It's a never-ending cycle. But it's, this is basically the Barbatoy-Robert Whitaker fight of promotions. Like, who is the actual number two promotion? So we have... PFL for New York, Rick. Maybe you agree with him. There's Bellator. There's one. There's others as well. So who is it, Jed? Who's the number two promotion? Your time starts now. So this question really comes down to what what are the criteria, right? Because maybe personally I might say I like the PFL more for some of the reasons that Rick elucidated. Uh, also, I, they have some fighters I'm compelled by, but I think they're probably not the number two by most metrics. You know, if you're talking about who's who puts on the best show, it's KSW, baby. Like they are, they put on a better show than the UFC half the time. Like that, if that's all I'm ranking on, it's that. If you're talking about who gets the most viewers, one championship gets a billion viewers, Mike. I don't think we can underestimate that they're actually the top MMA promotion in the world for viewership. You're talking about traffic, the interest it's driven. BKFC by far outstrips everybody as far as what the common man is interested in. But for me, the answer I think just sort of have it is still a default answer to Bellator because I'm talking about high level mixed martial arts and though I think Bellator does almost everything wrong all the time you look at MMAfighting.com great website all our rankings Bellator has the most other ranked fighters than aren't UFC fighters because they have the most best talent that's not the UFC well there you go and luckily I, I meant this is a slack channel discussion but the way Bellator has promoted this Danny Sabatello, Rafian Stotts fight has been really interesting because they went on the MA hour and just so knocked bad. out of the park. And then we got 14 more face-to-faces. Why are we doing this? Why and are we not, doing this? And the fight isn't happening like this week. It's okay to do a bunch of face-to-faces, but just do them for the next three months. Like they are, <laughs> like I said, everything they do is bad and they should be better at it. Okay. <laughs> Well, I feel like that works in my favor, but I'm not going to say anything. Well, we shall see. It is luckily not up to 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 you, New York Rick, or you, Jed Bashu, or even I, or even Casey, who's the man who's going to be reading the decision. It is up to you, the peeps, the viewers. Peeps. Go into the poll right now. Vote on who you think is going to win this battle between Jed Bashu and New York Rick. As far as upcoming programming for MMA fighting, great website. Gotcha, Jed. Uh, you can go onto the podcast network right now and listen to No Bets Bar. Dan, they were good is going to be coming soon, I believe. Do we know when that's going to drop, Jed? It's that is coming this afternoon. Uh, it won't be called Damn, They Were Good. It will be called something oh. very similar. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm working nothing, on a fun nothing about well. UFC 151 was good, Mike. So I can't call it Damn, They Were Good. I cannot wait to see what you titled this. I think I have an idea, but we will find out later on this afternoon when it drops. Uh, we will have a preview show tomorrow for UFC Paris at noon Eastern, which I'm very excited about. Uh, AK will be on weigh-in duty super early in the morning so you can get all your weigh-in results. 
at mbayfighting.com. And then we'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show, 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, post-fight show right after. And we'll be wrapped and packed with this baby by like 9 p.m. Eastern. It's fantastic. So, Casey, have we have I wasted enough time here? Do we have the votes tabulated? Are we good to go? Yes, sir. You have wasted enough time. We are good. Yes. We, um, oh, my goodness. I'm going to give it about 30 more seconds. Whoa. Ooh, tight. The gap is closing. The gap is closing. Okay. okay. Just so, uh, whatever, whatever it is, yourself. I'm just happy to be here. It was such a good time. <laughs> it was a great had, time, Ricky. I had so much fun talking to you guys. I mean, this is amazing. So we got like maybe 15 more seconds. So yeah, if you want to get seconds. those last get second votes, votes in, get it in. Right. Been, this was a great battle. This was a great battle. And I'm excited to see how the fans <laughs> voted. So apparently the tides are changing a little bit. So hopefully Casey can can fill us in on how the tides right. change. But are we All good? Right. Do, we, do we run off the clock? I think we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. All right. Here we go. All right. <sighs> Your winner today with 51% of the votes is... Jed Mishu. Whoa, he wow. gets it done. Fifty-one percent wow. is close, though, man. Damn. Was there a draw option, Casey? No draw option. No draw option. Oh, uh, this is wow. I mean, so was was Jed winning the whole way? Was Jed had Jed had a big lead, and then it got smaller and smaller. Jed Jed started out like he was, he was like about sixty-five percent. Then I was about yeah. to close the poll at about fifty-five percent. Then. I looked Rick over again, strong, it was like 51%, and it got close. Rick had a strong closing round. His strong closing it round. It was excellent. It was excellent. He did. Yeah, well, so. Jed, you are Tough. back in the win column after that battle with, with BC. The people have jumped aboard. They were on your side this week. What is your reaction to getting the fan vote this time around? You know, I'm just, just happy to be here, Mike. Just like Rick said, just being with my friends, talking about fist fights. We've got some good ones this weekend. If you haven't, make sure to check out No Bets Barred. Great podcast on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network. Also, dropped a piece today. It was an interview with Greg Jackson because today is the 10-year anniversary of UFC 151 or what would have been UFC 151. Uh, so, And that that is also what uh, this afternoon's Damn They Were is going to be about. So just remembering a really crazy time in mixed martial arts because it's honestly one of the funniest things that's that's happened. <laughs> Going back and looking at it is truly, truly incredible. I recommend you read the article I wrote today. Uh, there's a link in there to a press release from the UFC that should be put in the Louvre. It is inc- <laughs> like just unbelievable stuff. So yeah, happy to be well here. Done. Thanks for having me as always, guys. It was well done. New York, Rick, I know, you know, you're just happy to be here now that the results have been read or were you still happy to be here? Always happy to be here. I get to spend this time hanging out with my three buds, Casey, Mike and Jed. Um, then I get to, you know, listen to the results of a, of a vote by the bunch of jabrones who couldn't tie my shoelaces and know nothing about MMA. And it has no impact and significance on my life. And then I get to come back and spend another amount of time with my three buds and do it all over again. So this is this is the best thing going. And I'm always happy to be here. Love it. Casey, you can hit the exit music. We are good. We have talked as much as we possibly could today, but we'll see you back tomorrow. 
noon Eastern, UFC Paris preview show. Before that, heck of a morning on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. It's going to be a very busy weekend as far as content goes. Congratulations, Jed Mishu. New York Rick, thank you for jumping in. I know you're a very busy man. So for Jed, for New York Rick, for Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn may or may not take you home. I am Mike Heck. We'll see you back once again next week right here on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love this has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Yeah. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.